0: Reading from Mark chapter 4.
1: Chapter 4. This is Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. It can be found on page 701 of the Pew Bibles. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and and sat in out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Thanks, man. Keep your Bibles open. Don't close them to Mark Mark chapter 4. We're going to come back to it. Because we've had many, up till now in Mark, we've had many references to Jesus' teaching. We've heard that he teaches with authority, with such authority that crowds are left amazed. We've had glimpses into what Jesus' message is through his reactions to the critics. You'll notice how, remember how he often turns their questions back on them. But it's this chapter, chapter 4, where Mark, for the first time, gives us a sampler of the style and content of Jesus' teaching. Here we get a glimpse of Jesus' primary mode of instruction of how he engaged audiences all the time. And it's worth noting, just in a brief aside, that unlike many preachers and teachers today, Jesus doesn't offer a three-point message. Jesus doesn't even pass out an outline to fill in along the way. Jesus doesn't even supply study questions to stimulate conversation. No, Jesus tells a story. To be more specific, Jesus tells a parable, and that's an important distinction, because... A parallel while being a, a parable while being a story is much more than that. Parables are riddles. They're simply told, but not always easily understood. Case in point, we've heard this story before, we've heard this parable many times, and we may admire how Jesus roots parables like this one in a scene from everyday life in Israel, farming. But how easily we might miss the fact in knowing the story all so well that Jesus is also, in telling it this way, tapping into some very powerful imagery from long ago. The prophets of old pictured the Lord God, his fulfillment of his covenant promise that we invoked at baptism. They pictured that fulfillment of that hope as God redeeming his people like being like a farmer, that God would be like a farmer, that sowing in the Old Testament is a metaphor for the Lord's work of our father's renewing of Israel, of our creator's replanting and reharvesting of the world. We might miss that, knowing this story so well. But still, at this point, we might be thinking, well, that's very interesting, but it's, this is still a relatively easy story to understand. Well, if that's true, what do we make of the fact, if you have Mark still open, that beyond verse 9, Mark goes on to share with us that despite what appearances to the contrary, the disciples don't get it. I mean can you almost picture the 12 of them Jesus is in that boat and he's telling this story and you can picture the 12 can't you just like everybody else in the crowd nodding their heads maybe even going mm yeah mhm mm, right uh huh mhm and then when they get Jesus gets out of the boat and the crowds go away and they're alone with Jesus can you picture it when the 12 go we, we don't get it we don't get it and And their lack of understanding is so pronounced that Jesus even lightly rebukes them. If you look on in Mark chapter four, he says, I've given you the secret. I've given you the secret of the kingdom. If you don't understand this parable, how can you understand any of my teaching? But but we think we have something the disciples didn't. They, they didn't have that first time. We, we think this story is easy to understand because we have something they didn't. We, they heard, when they first heard this parable, they didn't have what we have. We have what comes next in, ch- in chapter 4. We have the interpretation from Jesus himself. Therefore, you've heard this story many times, and we get it, right? We get it. We get it. Well, I want to test that theory this morning. I want to test it if we really get it. Tell me if you've heard this story told this way and all the times you've heard it. Tell me if this is what you've heard this story is about. The story tells, Jesus tells us of a farmer who goes out to sow his seed, and that seed falls in different places, different types of condition. Some seed falls along the path, and the birds come and eat it up. And Jesus says this is like when temptation, evil influences come and take the word from us. Other seed falls in rocky places where there's not much soil. The seed sprouts up quickly, but since the soil was shallow, the seed really didn't take root, so it withers away at the first sign of the sun's heat And Jesus said, this is like when our joy in the world gets eclipsed by trouble. We get hit by bad times and we face struggles and we fizzle out. Still other seed falls on thorny ground. And that's the ground that's so crowded with thorns and weeds that the plant from the seed gets choked and doesn't produce any grain. And Jesus said, this is like when the worries of life, our desire for other things, particularly our deception over wealth, chokes the word in us and we remain stagnant. And then... There's the seed that falls on the good soil. It came up, it grew, and it produced a bumper crop. Jesus said this is like when one hears the word, accepts it, and bears fruit. And so the meaning of this story is easy, right? We all get it. The meaning of the story is don't be like the bad soil. Don't be like the bad soil. Flee from temptation and evil influences in order to keep hold of God's word. Have a deeply rooted faith, not just a superficial one, a half-hearted belief in God's word. Don't crowd your life with the cares of this world. Don't have a divided heart. Be like the good soil. Grow in God's word. Be fruitful. You've heard this one, right? That's the three-point sermon that we think Jesus tells with this parable. But there's just one problem with this interpretation. I don't know if you've noticed it. We're the soil in this story. To be more frank, we are the dirt. And I don't know about you, but dirt is dirt. Dirt can't do anything. All the stuff that happens in this story has nothing to do with any action by the soil. Dirt can't stop the birds from pecking and eating whatever lies upon it. Dirt can't repel rocks that take away its depth and ability to support roots. Dirt can't just remove thorns and weeds that grow around it or in it. Dirt just sits there. Have you had a different experience with dirt? Dirt is dirt. And beloved, this may not be pleasant to hear, but we are the dirt in this parable. We don't like to be called dirt, but that's what Jesus is pretty much saying. We're the dirt in this parable. We're the soil. Now, you might be balking at this point. You might be balking at this point because you've heard this taught many times before. You've been in Bible studies. You might be going, oh no, it's right there. No, 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 no. Jesus tells us, no, no. Jesus tells us, notice this, what makes the soil bad. But Jesus never tells us what makes the soil good before the seed falls on it. You might say, oh no, but He does. He's given us right there. This is how to be good soil. Soil can't be good, soil doesn't self actualize. <laughs> dirt is dirt. But we try to fill this in. No, 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 no. We unco- and that's what we do. And that's why all of a sudden, it's not a story. It's a parable. It's a riddle. But we, what we do is we unconsciously attempt to fix this story. We try to fill in the gaps so that it makes sense to us. But Jesus doesn't tell it or teach it this way. Jesus just leaves the parable as it is, even in the interpretation. So contrary to how we often understand this parable, Jesus isn't telling us how to be good soil as much as he's describing, he's warning us of the threats that surround us as dirt. He's cautioning us as to what can happen to us as soil. Now that's not a very satisfying message. For many of us, that's not the message we want to hear, and, and I want us to sit here for a little bit. I want us to sit here for the moment for a moment, even if it's a little awkward, because I want us to experience what the disciples did at first. I want us to be a little confused. I want us to be a little frustrated. I'm okay if even some of you are, frankly, a little disturbed right now. Because this parable is not what we think it is. Just to bring it home, since it's Christmas time, let me frame this in terms of the season that we're in. If we accept the fact that we're dirt, and not many of us want to accept that fact, but ashes to ashes and dust to dust and all that, if we accept the fact that we're dirt... And if we realize that on our own, we end up in a box as dirt, I think you can picture what I'm visualizing. I almost brought in a coffin, but I thought that would be kind of (laughs) ominous. If we realize that we are dirt and ultimately upon our own, we end up in a box as dirt, then one way to think about what we really want for Christmas, I mean, honestly, really one way to think about what we really want for Christmas is we want to trade up. We want to exchange boxes. We want to exchange our box for his box. What do we want for Christmas? What do we want from Jesus? Come on, we know. We want this. This is what we want from Jesus. We want a pretty gift wrapped box with something inside. What do we want from Jesus? What's inside our box? Let's find out. <laughs> what do we want from Jesus? We want comfort. We sing all about comfort at Christmas time. We want the comfort from Jesus giving us all the answers. Comfort. That's what we want for Christmas. Oh, there's more. We want joy. Lots of joy. We want joy from Jesus. We want the joy of Jesus giving us every possible solution. Every possible solution. We want joy. There's one more. We want peace. Peace on earth and goodwill to men. We want peace from Jesus. We want complete fixes. Fix everything, Jesus. Give us peace. That's what we want for Christmas. We want peace. We want joy. We want comfort. And we want it all in a nicely wrapped box. But based upon Mark chapter 4, what do we actually get from Jesus? (laughs) Some seed. We want this. We get this. We want a new box. And Jesus gives us a handful of seed. We get seed, but notice something about this seed. Notice something about this seed. Notice that the seed is given to all of us. No matter what the condition of your soil, the sower scatters the seed to everyone. All landscapes, all types of soil, naughty or nice, contrary to our Christmas message, get the seed. They hear the word. And this seed is potent. This seed prospers. Do you ever notice in Jesus telling this story that the ratio is really not all that good? Most of us wouldn't start a business based on these odds. One out of four is not really good odds. One out of four success rate is not what we would consider a, 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 a venture that we would invest in. And yet that's the story that Jesus tells. But the seed is potent. The seed prospers despite seeming crop failure. One out of four. The seed endures, and the seed brings a miraculous yield that's greater than we ever could have possibly imagined. Pay attention. We receive seed, but notice something about this seed. We get seed, but we also get the farmer. As the sower, the farmer controls where the seed goes, and the farmer, as we've said, scatters the seed indiscriminately, not waiting until the soil is ready. But it is as the farmer that the soil gets tended. The farmer tends the soil so that the bad soil can become good soil. Like the farmer, it's God who brings the growth. Paul, in fact, will explicitly come out and say this in his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter three. It's God who brings the growth. So what do we get for Christmas, beloved? We get a sower who just keeps on sowing, who just keeps on scattering seed. We get seed that just keeps on growing, even when three out of four times it's a train wreck. Beloved, we get the gift of Jesus. And through Jesus, we come into the kingdom of God. In other words, what I'm trying to say to you this morning, what I think that Jesus is saying to us through this parable by which all other parables supposedly are understood, the key to understanding Jesus' teaching is through the word, the instruction that Jesus repeatedly gives here in Mark chapter four. If you have Mark chapter four open, notice how many times just in chapter four, Jesus uses the word hear or listen. I don't have time to wait for you to count. He uses it 12 times. 12 times. Jesus says, hear or listen. What that means is that Jesus told parables not to provide all the answers. Jesus told parables to draw us into the story of the kingdom, to provoke relationship with us, to invite and challenge us into discipleship, to come and follow him. Now, if you have Mark open, Jesus quotes this passage from Isaiah that sends many people sideways, just like the the quote he gives about blaspheming against the Holy Spirit last week in chapter 3. This section that Jesus quotes from Isaiah is often interpreted as if Jesus is saying that he speaks in riddles and parables to intentionally keep people in the dark, to keep them out of the kingdom. But I want to suggest to you this makes absolutely no sense whatsoever Because it contradicts the very message, the primary message that Jesus brings for why he came and for whom he came. For God so loved all the world. God's desire is for all to be saved. So what does this mean when Jesus says that they'll hear but not understand? Very similar to blaspheming against the Holy Spirit as being the unforgivable sin. This, the context of this word from Isaiah that Jesus quotes has to do with God talking about those who have already made the willful choice not to listen already. The, the point, again, is very similar to blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. It's not as if God excludes us. Purposefully, it's not, again, as though there's a sin that God says, I will not forgive that. One's exclusion from understanding God's revelation, one's exclusion from understanding God's word, one's exclusion from understanding and embracing Jesus is not about God keeping us from the truth as much as it is we exclude ourselves from the truth by refusing to engage in the relationship. Let me be clear. God doesn't make it easy for us. I am want to just become right. I've, I've complained about this before. I mean, we're so used to this, we really don't get how frustrating this is. Jesus, are you the Messiah? Give us the answers. Let me tell you a story. No, don't tell me a story. Just tell me the answer. Jesus, we got a lot of problems going on in our world right now. We got a lot of problems. Can you fix those problems? Let me tell you a story. No, don't tell us another story. Can you fix our problems? Jesus, there's a lot of things that are broken, okay? We need things fixed. Can you fix them? Can you make things right again? You know, that reminds me of a story. Oh my God, don't tell me another story. Don't tell me a story. But Jesus, we're told this is not the exception. Jesus, this was the primary way Jesus taught. He told parables. Jesus told parables not to make it easy for us. I mean, honestly, can we admit that if we were going to save the world, this is not how we would do it. We would not save the world by telling stories. We would save the world by writing a manual. Which is why we have 3-point sermons and outlines that we fill in. And things that we put in boxes. We like it neat and tidy, but Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't make it easy for us, but he does reveal enough to engage us at a deeper, more lasting level. He wants relationship. In the telling of stories like these, another way to think of it, it's Jesus is revealing in telling parables, he's revealing who's really listening, who continues to listen, who desires to respond, who's willing to learn. The thing that's amazing is the disciples get it right in coming to Jesus. Almost despite themselves, they get it right. They get the point of the parable when after everyone goes away, they come and they say, we don't get it. They don't understand Jesus at first, but notice rather than try to come up with their own answers, rather than try to fill in their perceived blanks to Jesus' teaching, they come to him. They come to him for understanding. And I want to contrast this with the crowds. I told you the crowds always stand in contrast to the disciples, the followers of Jesus throughout Mark. There's always crowds around Jesus. Let me ask you, Mark doesn't tell us the crowd's reaction other than amazement. But do you think the crowds really understand Jesus? I don't. If this is a typical example of Jesus' teaching, teaching in parables and riddles like this, and if the typical reaction of the crowds has been astonishment or amazement, whoa, we've never heard anything like this before. And yet, in the midst of their amazement, if the typical reaction of the disciples, the actual followers of Jesus, is they don't get it, they don't get it until they pursue Jesus, then I think we can surmise pretty safely that the crowds, the people in the crowds, even though they acted like they got it, they didn't. They were acting like they got it when they really didn't. And actually, I think probably closer to home, I think we can conjecture this, that what was happening in the crowds is most people were hearing what they wanted to hear. They heard, but they didn't really understand. Are you hearing Jesus quoting Isaiah differently now? They heard, but they didn't really understand. They heard what they wanted to hear. Jesus teaches in parables to reveal what the kingdom is like, but he teaches in parables also to reveal our character and our capacity. Jesus teaches and reveals things. And think about the word revelation. Revelation is about perceiving truth, but not fully understanding it. When something's revealed in our lives, something is revealed that we either didn't expect or we didn't see the first time, revelation gives us a perception of something, but that revelation provokes us to look again to see what we missed the first time, or to look deeper, to see what we didn't see the first time. And that's how revelation works. And Jesus is about revelation, giving us a glimpse of truth, opening up the truth to us to provoke us to go deeper, to look again. But let's be honest. Sometimes in our lives, revelation shows us things, truths that we really don't want to see. Things that we really don't want to know And so it's very easy for us to settle for less than complete understanding, to settle for less than the full truth. When Revelation shows us things that we don't want to see, we don't want to know, we have a very interesting habit. We just create our own truth. Beloved, how many of us this morning here today, how many of us are acting this whole Christian thing? Acting like we get it stuffing all the questions we have, going through the motions, paying attention to the language that other people use, what's the songs we sing, the prayers we pray, acting like we get it, stuffing our questions, going through the motions, rather than wrestling with the person of Jesus, rather than talking with him, questioning him, listening to Jesus. This Kairos card has been a blessing to some of you. Some profound things have been shared with me. Things that, that just a simple asking of what God's saying to me. But I've shared this already. This Kairos card for some of you has been a real thorn in your flesh. I've had people who've come up very, very frustrated at me. Take the Kairos card out of the bulletin. Stop asking me what God's saying to me, okay? God's not talking to me. I get it. I don't need God to say anything. I get it. I don't need God to say anything. I get it. Please, let's repeat that again. I don't need God to say anything to me because I get it. Look, God doesn't speak to me. He doesn't need, I, I don't hear God speaking, okay? I get it. He doesn't need to say anything to me. God doesn't need to say anything to me because I get it. Beloved, I'm going to say something that might shock us, but if we're not being simultaneously invited and challenged by Jesus, we're missing the point of this parable, of all of the parables. We worship a God who is repeatedly inviting and challenging us. So many of us, some, many of you have stayed in the same place for so long. You embrace the invitation, but you receive no challenge. So many of you, so many of us are very happy with keeping things in a box. And yet the way Jesus teaches is not so that we can keep things in a box, but he's reshaping the very box of our lives. If we're not experiencing challenge in our life, if you're not hearing from God, then maybe you're shying away from the revelation that God's trying to bring into your life. Maybe God's shining some truth in your life that, be honest, you don't want to see. You don't want to know. Because we worship a God who's about loving us as we are, but not loving loving us so much that he doesn't leave us as we are, where we are. God is repeatedly challenging us. How many of us here this morning have experienced the revelation of God in our lives. Jesus has revealed the truth in or about our lives maybe through the exposure of a lie something that's a lie in our lives or maybe that God has revealed, uh, given us a perception of something new and unexpected in our lives and yet whether it's a lie that's been exposed or something new and unexpected that's been opened up before us, we don't want to see it. We don't want to know it. We don't want to look closer and deeper. How many of us can't handle the truth? And so we just make up our own. How many of us are speaking for Jesus rather than actually listening to Jesus? I'll confess that is a personal problem of mine. I will call out to Jesus, and before there's any silence, I'm telling Jesus what he's saying back to me. Oh, Lord, I know what you're going to say here, Jesus. I know what you're thinking on this one. I mean, I do it in every other relationship I have. Why would I be any different with Jesus? And I know I'm not alone in this. How many of us are speaking for Jesus? with the best of intentions rather than actually listening to Jesus, to what he's trying to say in our lives. The point of this parable, of all Jesus' parables, is to keep coming to Jesus, keep coming, to keep looking to Jesus, to keep depending upon Jesus. You see, disciples receive understanding because they're just that, disciples. Disciples receive understanding because disciples earnestly seek to follow Jesus. And the closer you are to Jesus, the closer you are to the truth. And depending upon where you're standing, that's a good thing or a bad thing. The key to discipleship, beloved, is to trust the seed. The key to discipleship is to rely on the sower. It's about a posture of receptivity, reception. It's about being open. It's about receiving. It's about listening. Jesus says, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And another way to paraphrase what Jesus says here is, do you hear what I hear? Let him who has ears to hear, hear. Do you hear what I hear? It was October 1962, and the Soviet Union and the United United States were involved in an international incident that would later be known as the Cuban Missile Crisis. In response to the installation of nuclear missiles by the Russians in Cuba, the United States threatened military action if those armaments were not removed. President Kennedy, many of you remember this, ordered a naval blockade of the island of Cuba. And Soviet leader Nikita Khrushchev responded by sending additional ships, possibly carrying military cargo, toward Cuba and allowing construction at those missile sites to continue. As two nations played a dangerous game of chicken, their citizens and the people around the globe trembled and prayed. No no Regni knew all too well the precipice upon which the world stood during those days. As a veteran of the Second World War, he had witnessed the horrors of battle, the fear of the enemy, the terror of the battlefield, the weight of death. And walking the streets of the city that day, Regni was looking for hope. He was looking for hope as the prosperous life, the secure life that he had built in the United States after the war was on the verge of coming to an end. While on his walk, A couple of newborn babies caught his eye. Reminding him of little lambs, Regney was suddenly inspired to write a poem. When he got home, he asked his wife Gloria to write music to accompany his words. In 1963, as Bing Crosby recorded Noel's words and Gloria's music, a poem, A Prayer for Peace, Do You Hear What I Hear, became a hit song that's been played every Christmas since. Ironically, most people don't recognize the message of peace that is so central to this beloved classic. Regni himself once attributed this disconnect between the popularity of the song and the point of the song to the inability of the average person to truly listen. He he said, I'm amazed that people can think they know the song and not know it is a prayer for peace. But we are so bombarded by sounds and our attention spans are so short. Beloved, I love this illustration because it draws out the point of this. We can hear a song. We can know it. We can sing it. But that doesn't mean we're really listening to it. It doesn't mean we really get it. That we can understand that we aren't just singing, but that we're actually praying a prayer. How many people love this song, Do You Hear What I Hear?, but never have realized that in fact, they're praying a prayer. They're praying a prayer to the only one who can bring us peace. Do you hear what I hear? Let whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Beloved, it's that time of year again. Christmas is almost upon us. Are we listening to Jesus? Are we looking for him? Are we following him through this holiday season? Or is this a time of year when we relate more to the crowds than we do to the disciples? Is our posture for receiving Jesus like the crowds Or is it like the disciples? We're running around. We're running all around. We're making lists. We're checking them twice. We're doing all manner of things in preparation for Christmas. We're doing all manner of things in the name of Jesus. Some of us are doing it with t-shirts and jackets and sweatshirts and bumper stickers that even say as we're running around, Jesus is the reason for the season. Jesus is the reason for the season. I'm running all around and Jesus is the reason for the season. But have we actually spent any time with Jesus? We're singing songs, we're creating cards, we're writing family letters, we're putting up manger scenes. By God, it's our right to put up a manger scene. They're not taking Jesus out at Christmas. I'm putting a manger scene up in my backyard, and you better not take it down because it's my God given right. We're putting up manger scenes. We're maybe even doing special daily devotionals for Advent. We're hearing a lot. We're maybe even talking a lot about Jesus, but I'm going to ask again, are we actually listening to Jesus? You don't like this Kairos card? God's not saying anything to you today? Fine. What's God saying to you through these last three weeks of Advent? Please tell me that you cannot be singing and praying and celebrating that Christ is coming again soon and tell me that he's not saying anything to you. What is Christ saying to us as he seeks to be born anew in our lives and in our world? And what are we going to do about it? But we can't do until we first hear. That's the big reverse. But I know, I know. Some of us are so busy, really busy right now. I mean, pastor, come on, give us a break. We don't have time to stop right now. But, you know, as we're rushing from this place to the next, pastor, as we're caught up in the storm, the hustle and bustle of Christmas, you gotta know we're nodding our heads. We're telling ourselves, we get it. We get what Christmas is all about. It's all about Jesus. And we get it. And we'll give Jesus his due on December 24th. Maybe December 25th. When everything's done. Or maybe you're the the person who's frantic today. Others of us are really frantic right now. Can you feel it? People who are frantic. Because, you know, we're not really feeling it yet. It's the third Sunday of Advent. We're only, like, a couple days out, and we're not feeling it yet. It doesn't feel like Christmas. Anybody else, can I relate to what I'm talking about? It doesn't feel like Christmas. And there's not much time. We're working hard. We're keeping up the things we used to do that made it feel like Christmas. But it doesn't feel like Christmas. We're even willing to try new things because we want to get it. Oh, man, we want to get it. We want to get the spirit of Christmas. Time is running out. Christmas is almost here. We've got to do something to get it. What can we do to get the spirit of Christmas? (laughs) You know, what's funny is in some ways, this whole season has become like a parable. Because how we celebrate Christmas, I think, reveals how we engage Christ. How we enter the season, how we get through it, how we go beyond it reflects our character and capacity as followers of Jesus. It reveals our character, Beloved, is Christmas for you all about doing, doing, doing? Or is this time of year about being, being, being? Is Christmas for you all about giving in order to get? Or is Christmas all about receiving, receiving in order to give? How we engage Christmas reveals our capacity. Do we have room in our lives at Christmas for Jesus? Are we listening to Jesus during this season that is so focused on him? We all complain about the war on Christianity out in our society, but this is the one time of year whether people get it or not, we're talking about Jesus is okay. There might be some pushback, but this time of year, more than any other time, this is a time when more people than normal are talking about Jesus, and yet in the midst of Jesus being the centerpiece of conversation, are we actually listening to Jesus? Are we listening to him on a season that's so focused on him? Or for many of us, is Jesus just a silent baby who only shows up in the manger on December 24th? What I'm hitting us with is, is guys, if we aren't listening to Jesus at a time when it's intentionally focused on him, if we can't do that until one day, December 24th, why would we think that the rest of the days of our lives would be any different? Christmas is a parable of our discipleship. I know there's a lot of challenge in framing it like this, but it's not intended, this challenge, to leave us leaving burdened with more guilt and shame. If right now you leave this morning and think, oh, poor baby Jesus... There's no room for him in my life. I'm so so terrible. No. The challenge of Christmas being a parable of our discipleship is also an invitation. It's Jesus' invitation to listen. Do you hear what I hear? Have you received the first and greatest gift of Christmas? Maybe the best way to, to summarize this is to think of it like this. We hear this parable and we take this parable and we think of the gift of salvation working like this. That salvation is Jesus coming to the bad soil of our lives and tilling the soil, clearing away the rocks, pulling the weeds, and making us good soil. And that's what Jesus does, and then we all of a sudden get all messed up again. Our soil gets filled with rocks and thorns, and we come back, and Jesus pulls out the rocks and takes care of the thorns and makes us good soil again. And on and on it goes. For many of us, that's what we think that salvation is. That's what we think the gospel is. Jesus just keeps making us good soil. Listen to the parable it's more salvation's more than an altar call. Christmas isn't about coming at Christmas time and Easter or even every Sunday and just getting your soil cleaned. God doesn't just want to save us. That's the message of Christmas. God wants to love us. He comes as one of us because he wants to be in relationship with us, to love us. You don't think that God from up there can take rocks and thorns and anything else out of the soil of your life? God comes to save us because he wants to love us. And that love is more than just clearing away rocks and thorns. It's nurturing that soil, feeding that soil of our lives, cultivating that soil. Jesus comes to live with us in a world in the soil of our lives. He comes and lives in in the soil of our lives where we're sometimes trampled on where we're sometimes pecked at, oppressed, and persecuted. He comes to live with us in a world in the soil of our lives that's rocky sometimes, filled with obstacles, soil, the soil of our lives that's shallow and where we often feel burned out. God comes to live with us in a world in the soil of our lives that becomes thorny and plagued by weeds, by distractions and busyness that choke the life out of us. Jesus comes to live with us in the soil of our lives. And he comes not just to save us, not just to make the soil of our lives better, not just to make us good dirt. Here, the parable, Jesus comes to love us, to make our lives fruitful, to make our lives be lives that produce, lives that are full. He saves us out of love. He saves us to keep on loving us. He comes as a baby so we can embrace him. He grows up and dies as a man so he can embrace us. And beloved, if we embrace Jesus, if we truly get the story of Christmas, we can get not only what we want, but we can get, more importantly, what we need. We can get the ultimate answer, the comfort of the cross. We can get the definitive solution, the joy of the resurrection. If death is not a problem, every other solution follows after it. And we can get the peace that we so desperately want. The absolute fix. The peace of the Holy Spirit. The question is, what do we want for Christmas? Do we want a bunch of these? Do we want a bunch of these? A bunch of boxes filled with stuff that we don't need? Filled with stuff that ends up crowding our lives? Filled with stuff that we end up taking back or giving away? Filled up with stuff that won't last? Or do we want the mysteries of the kingdom? The magic of Christmas? The gift of Jesus Christ in a world predominated by sound bites. May the Holy Spirit awaken us to the art of listening with the ear of our hearts. May we consider what we hear from Jesus so that we keep on listening to Jesus. May we remember what Jesus and the scriptures proclaim that faith comes by hearing. And may we, instead of rushing and raging on to the hustle and bustle of this holiday season, may we practice patience. May we engage silence. May we become receptive to the one who brings us goodness and light. Do you hear what I hear? Amen.